So I'm holding this uh, this Yoda 3D printed figure in the uh, in the thumbnail for this YouTube stream, and I tweeted this. It was yesterday morning. A couple of photos. Yoda's in my hand. If those listening to it later on, it is a matte black Yoda, and uh, it took me three goes. Mostly because if you have a look just under the bottom here, there's like a well, he's got his stick. And the problem when you're printing the stick is that it's a really thin, high piece. And if you kind of look at it from the side, I'm best looking like that. Look at it from the side. The stick has got to print up about, oh, let's call it 10 centimeters before it joins the hand. So what you end up with, if you think about like layer by layer, is you have like his cloak in his legs and that's a big solid piece and that's printing up and then the stick's this thin piece and at some point they've got to join and the stick has probably got a surface area on the bottom of like I don't know, call it 6 mil squared it's a very specific number <laughs> 6 mil squared so it's got this tiny little piece that's hanging on and if it, if it prints higher and higher and higher and higher the print head only needs to just touch the stick to knock it off the bed altogether because it's, there's, a, there's a limited amount of adhesion. And then, of course, if it knocks it off the bed already, you, your whole print is screwed because you start getting filament drop onto what it thinks is the top of a stick, and then there's no more stick. <laughs> it's a very lengthy intro. So I had two goes at this where it didn't work. Number one, I just tried to print it without any anything other than like his stick, and then that didn't work. And then number two, I tried to put a little bit of support around the bottom of the stick, and then that didn't work. Number three, and in fact this is on the, the photo and the tweet, is I printed supports all the way up to his hand. So what you end up with is like his stick, but then all these supports around it, all the way back up to where it joins the rest of the model. And it printed beautifully. And I was so happy yesterday because I finally got my Yoda. <laughs> got my Yoda printed. And then I just went to do this video, and I picked it up. With my finger on his stick, okay, that's sounded much worse than it should have. With my hand uh, grabbing both the cloak and the stick, and snapped the stick. <laughs> and it was literally when I was just sitting here like ten minutes ago. His stick is uh, subsequently being glued back together, and it looks pretty much as good as new. But uh, yeah, yeah, three D printing woes. Uh Kevin's here. Good morning from a very hot UK. Oh, look, you know, I'll talk about the heat in a moment because I, I, I joke about it, but I do have sympathy for you, and I'll explain why I have sympathy uh, in just a moment. Let me talk about the, the sponsor things first. Sponsor this week is Collide, a, uh, now a very long-term, very prevalent sponsor. So a massive thanks to Collide for their ongoing support, fleet visibility solution for Mac, Windows, and Linux that can help you securely scale your business uh, and they do link off to the Clyde website where there's a whole bunch of information become all-knowing that sounds good <laughs> I'd love to be all-knowing become all-knowing Clyde gives you accurate valuable and complete fleet visibility across Mac Windows and Linux endpoints gee that's cool they've got a really nice great they do a lot of good cyber stuff, but I love the gradient across complete fleet visibility. And I literally did that thing where, you know, you see something cool on a web page and you're like, is that an image? Can I select the text character? But, oh, it's actually CSS. Like, of course, you can do a gradient across text, but that looks cool. Wow. 
Also, cool cyber stuff. Thank you <laughs> to Collide for their ongoing sponsorship. I've got to look at that CSS later now. Uh, George is here. Craig is here. It's very early here, actually. It's just after six. Uh, it's well, I started this at quarter past six in the morning. I've already had a walk for about four and a half K. I did get up very early this morning. Uh, it's really windy here. It's about 30 plus knots at the moment. Uh, so I walked down to the beach. It was dark. It was kind of cool. The heat, I said I had some sympathy for the heat. Uh, you know, we we do take the piss a bit here in Australia when people from other places say it's hot. But in fairness, uh, where we live here, it's, it's like it's, it's beautiful weather all year round. I posted photos this week. Middle of winter, 25 degrees Celsius, out on the boat, all the rain and everything that we had earlier on in this year and the waters was mucky all that's gone it's all cleared out and it was just crystal clear blue fish everywhere i'm swimming oh seriously it wasn't even cold swimming around a few days ago in the middle of winter no problems uh and and that's great but then when we get to summer it it's not that hot here and uh, now when i say it's not that it's not that hot compared by uk temps and europe temps at the moment uh it I don't think we saw a 35-degree day in the summer just gone. We definitely haven't seen a 40-degree day for some years. That's really, really rare. Here, you go 800 kilometres that way to Sydney, and you will get some of those, particularly you go inland a bit, and then you go another 800-ish, south 600, south to Melbourne, same sort of thing. Adelaide, Perth, same sort of thing. We actually have really temperate climates here. Uh, it is more humid. That's what makes it quite different. So... Uh, when there's when we sort of joke about this and then and the heat, uh, it is it is not the temperatures that those of you in the UK are getting at the moment. And the other thing, and I, I did tweet this earlier in the week. What I've, it's a little bit like that saying. It's like that there's no there's no bad weather, only bad clothing. Right? <laughs> Maybe this is a Norwegian thing I get from Charlotte, uh, where it's like no matter how bad the weather is, if you're dressed appropriately, you're, you're okay. And I, I think it's the same with houses. And during the week, I. I tweeted and sort of said, look, on a more serious note, uh, yeah, I live in a hot country. The, the hottest place I've been, I've been to Death Valley in the US. That was 47 Celsius the day I was there. High of 57, which would have been impressive. But it was not that bad because the place was like built for it. There's, It's not just air conditioning everywhere. They literally had those misters. If anyone's been to Vegas, it's the same as I got all over Vegas. There's little misters you walk... Folks in the UK love this right now. You walk around a shop and, and at the entrance, it's just like spraying cold mist down on you, which is beautiful. Built for it. But the hottest I've been, the most uncomfortably hot I've been, was in Oslo about three years ago. It must have been exactly three years ago. And it wasn't that hot. It was like a low 30s day. But all the houses are made to keep the heat in because it also goes to minus 20. So... That's the problem. It's just not built to, uh, to 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 stand up to hot conditions. In the same way, the houses here don't do a very good job when it's cold. Uh, Charlotte and I spoke about this when we did the video together a few weeks ago. It's bizarre how cold the houses here are, and it really stands out to her. Actually, I got a. Uh, I was trying to figure out like how do we solve this problem of of the temperature like let's figure out where the drafts and things are coming from I did a bit of googling they said get a, a like a thermal imaging gun you know one of those guns with the red dot you point at got one off ebay the other day 70 bucks or something amazon uh so now i'm just walking around the house like shooting first of all you shoot the gun at all the sorts of immature things you can imagine you shoot the gun at to check the temperature then you walk around and you shoot it at the windows and the doors and all the places the draft might be coming in 
So point is, is that the houses here aren't made to stand up to the cold any more than the houses over in Europe are made up to, most of Europe are made to stand up to the heat. So you have my sympathies for that. I know what it's like being hot and just not being able to get cold again. Stephen says, makes me think of Cooper Pedy, where they build the houses in the ground. It was great being in an underground hotel when I saw it as a kid back in 93. So Charlotte and I saw that uh, very early last year as well. So when we drove from Uluru down to Adelaide, we went through Coobapiti. I wanted to stay in a cave under the ground. So Coobapiti is one of the hottest places in Australia, like regularly over 40 degrees Celsius. Always has been. So the way that they've dealt with it there, it's, it's, uh, it's primarily an opal mining town. They have literally built the houses into the ground. So... Uh, a lot of the a lot of the houses and some of the hotels as well, and of course I wanted to go to the hotel. Where you could do this. You stay under the ground, which which kind of makes a lot of sense. Uh, when we we just had this trip to Tasmania, we went to these caves, and in one of the caves, the the guide said, uh, every single day of the year, middle of summer, middle of winter, no matter what, it's always nine degrees Celsius. It's exactly nine degrees all the time. And the caves are a bit like this as well. Like it's 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 like nature's insulation. It just keeps it uh, keeps it constant. Not a great view from the cave. Uh, every room had like these little emergency torches. It's like in an emergency, uh, you're going to need this torch. So, okay, I guess I guess there's no. You know, it could be an emergency in the middle of the day, and you can't see what's going on. This was kind of fun. Uh, Wayne says this is the wrong day. No, oh, it's Friday. That's right, definitely Friday. We are in the future. Let's talk about data breaches because there have been a lot of... I was going to say there's been a lot of data breaches this week, but that's not entirely accurate. The data breaches that I've been dealing with this week are all old. Now, I sort of spoken about this before around the fact that for me to load a data breach, a number of things have to happen. Number one, there's got to be a data breach. <laughs> Number two, someone's got to send me a data breach. Now, this is a big thing. Until I get the data, I can't do anything with it. Uh, now, very often, that is, this breach happened yesterday or last week, and it's fresh news. Uh, in, in many cases, have it been put has broken the story. It's like, all right, there's there's been a data breach. I work with a journalist. We get a story. It's in have I been pwned. All goes live. Uh, yeah, that's there's many, many precedents of that. But there are also many cases where breaches have happened a very long time ago, and then they take a long time to get to have I been pwned. Some of the ones that, that come immediately to mind are things like LinkedIn and Dropbox. Both breaches were in 2012. There was news about it in 2012. It was 2016 before the data was circulating and able to be loaded into HIBP. So it has to be circulating. The other thing is, is that I have to be confident enough that I can load it into Have I Been Pwned and not get sued. <laughs> now, what I mean by that is that I don't want, and I've always said this, I, I just never want Have I Been Pwned to be the vector through which an organisation learns that they have had a data breach. Uh, not only do I not want to get sued because someone turns around and they're like, oh, no, they blame me for it or who knows, lawyers, right? But I... I also want them to have the opportunity to do the right thing, notify the customer, so on and so forth. I just remembered I've got to follow up with an organisation. <laughs> it's not replying to my emails anymore. I want to do the right thing here. Uh, now, the, the, the difficulty is, is that it is hard. It's time-consuming. 
it saps a lot of my time. Frankly, it saps a lot of my energy. And when I've got one data breach, it's like, I can't find any news stories about it. I can't find any disclosure. It looks like it's going to be hard to get a reply from them. And then I've got another data breach, which is like, yeah, there's a news story here. So, okay, well, that's that makes it easy because I can just point to that. It's already in the public domain in terms of the knowledge that the breach has happened. So these are things that in some of these cases I did have for a long time, but the barrier to making them live was such that I prioritized other things that had a lower barrier. I don't want it to always be this way. I don't think this is good for anyone. I don't think it's good for the organizations that have been breached. It's certainly not good for the individuals that have been breached. Not good for me either. I'm sitting on all this data and it's just not getting loaded. So that's why some of these things take a while because I've got questions this week. They're like, why is this so old? Well, this is why. Talk about some of the breaches I did load. Where do we go back to? Last week, I talked about Le Post Mobile. Lockbit. Old news now. Uh, Eschemi. That's one I've been sitting on for a long time. Eschemi was breached in late 2020, exposing 26 million records with 1.2 million unique email addresses. A bunch of the records didn't have emails on them. Dates of birth, genders... Else is in here? Unsalted MD5 password hashes in 2020. That's not the worst one either. We'll get to the worst one in a moment. 45% of those already in Have I Been Pwned. Another one here, linking through to the same news story. Uh, this one was the Japanese Family Photos website, FAM. That's a FAM with a double M. Also breached late 2020. 535,000 unique email addresses, dates of birth. Why? Genders, Why? without getting into trouble about it (laughs) genders for the most part I care less about because there are limited possibilities Uh, and there are two very likely possibilities and then there is non-binary or not disclosed or whatever else and I, I guess the point like if you could only If you can only have the colors of the rainbow as an option, your scope is fairly limited. It's personal and it should be private, but it doesn't have the same gravitas as say dates of birth, where there are many, 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 many thousands, tens of thousands of different possibilities. No one uses their gender as static knowledge based authentic. Well, it wouldn't be static either, would it? No one uses their gender as, like your bank doesn't call up and say, hey, Troy, we just need to make sure you are who you say you are. What's your gender? So, well, uh, that's really not the same as asking for your date of birth. And the reason I say this is because, first of all, I don't think any of these should be in here. Why do you need this for a family photo site, dates of birth and genders? Secondly, I think that the real world impact in terms of particularly identity theft, and in most cases, privacy is very different for dates of birth than what it is for genders. Neither of them should be in there. Neither of them should be leaked. They're both personal and private. What else in here? Uh, Duke and Media. Now, Duke and Media, as this is kind of an interesting business model, and if someone understands it better than me, you can you can explain it. But when you have a look at Duke and Media, this is another one that has been sitting there for ages, and I, I think at the time I just didn't have a... Uh, a reference to be able to say, here's the story, it's already public. The trusted global leader in user-generated entertainment. Now, 
Anyone watch Fail Army? Watch it all the time with the kids. I save them. I save the Fail Armies until I'm sitting there with the kids and we watch them all. It's basically like man get hit in the nuts with a football kind of stuff, like just over and over and over again. It's the old uh, funniest home videos. If you're in America, I know there was an American one. It's probably the first one. Uh, we used to have in Australia's funniest home videos, except it's like bite-sized stuff. User-generated content. Now, what seems to happen is Duke and Media, I believe they own that brand, as well as People Are Awesome, The Pet Collective, and This Is Happening, among others, I suspect. And people who want to submit their videos go to Duke and Media and they submit the videos... Our videos have appeared on NBC, Fox, MTV, BBC, Allen, CNN. I could have one of those. I think I've been on every one of those except for Allen. <laughs> CBS, Huffington Post. Should I have that across the top of like Troyant.com? As seen on Fox. No, jeez, no, no, no. Anywho, so this stuff gets submitted. Now, what was in the data breach was uh, obviously the things just, or the things I'm about to mention here, 13 gigabytes of code. 314,000 unique email addresses, uh, names, phone numbers, IP addresses, bcrypt password hashes, good on them for bcrypt. But what was also in there was was links to a whole bunch of different user-submitted videos and that the user-submitted videos often just linked to like YouTube and then was it accepted or rejected? And the vast majority of them get rejected because frankly, they're a bit crap. And if I saw that on File Army, I'd be like, ah, oh, this one isn't this great. But it was like, yeah, it's just kind of interesting to get an insight into that business model where it, it seems to be uh, if... If you have a video of a man getting hit in nuts with football, you go to Jukin and you submit that, and you might get some money for it. So I think there was something in there about payouts as well. So I learned something this week. PPC Geeks. PPC is Pocket PC, as in like Windows Mobile 6 and that sort of thing, as best as I could understand it. Breached in 2016. This is an old one. Exposed over 490,000 records. Data included email and IP addresses, usernames, dates of birth, salted MD5 password hashes. 97% of them already in Have I Been Pwned. That is a very high hit rate. Now, what it makes me think of when I see a hit rate that high is that this has probably come from, uh, or rather have been fed into some of the other credential stuffing lists, data aggregation lists, this sort of thing. Mike's here. G'day, Mike. Thank you for the mention today on the the Twitters. I I, I do read my Twitters. So uh, PPC Geeks obviously already fed into other things. Not actually, actually, is it still up? They had a disclosure on their forum and the forum was down or gone. I I, I think everyone sort of moved on from pocket PCs. Linked through to web archive there. Uh, And then... And then the real doozy. <laughs> this is this is the kicker. I love this one. <sighs> Muslim dating site, shadi.com. They don't call themselves shadi. They always call themselves shadi.com, which is annoying because then every time I put it in a tweet, if I don't want to have like the hero image for them come up, I've got to put the little square brackets around the dot. Had 2 million email addresses exposed in 2016. The breach also exposed MD5 password hashes along with plain text versions 100% already in have been pwned. Now, there is a bunch to unpack with this, and it's worse than that as well, and I'll explain why in a moment. Uh, let me go down and find the tweet where I... Where did I put that? Must be, must be a little bit more recent. Yeah, here we go. Oh, no, that's me complaining about my Epson printer. <laughs> that was a different thing. Uh, I can just explain it. Um, 
First of all, it's been around for quite a while, obviously. The thing that – actually, one of the things that several people called me and they said, it's not a Muslim dating site. It is a dating site – actually, what is it? <laughs> was it was it a dating site in Arabic or something like that? Uh, I was just quoting the news story. So the story that I've linked to here from uh, Softpedia is data from two Muslim dating sites – Two others dumped online, more than 2.2 million user records. Now, there's another one called Muslim Match, and I think it's a safe bet to say that is targeted at uh, those of the Muslim faith. That was already in Have I Been Pwned. It looks like we've got two separate services sitting on the same set of data, as, as best I can figure it. I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, Shadi.com, Dreams Into Reality. This is their website. Dreams Into Reality. Best matrimony site used by millions of members worldwide. And then under it, it says used by millions of member worldwide. Attention to detail, folks. Uh, all right. Well, this this so this is interesting. There is a bit here. It says religion: Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Sikh, Buddhist, Jain. J A I N. What's that? If anyone knows, tell me. I'll learn something. Then you can select your caste. Uh, now, I've not been to India, but my understanding is that there are a lot of different castes in terms of your, I guess, sub-ethnicity within India. Uh, words here that I would butcher if I tried to pronounce them. It, maybe it's more like an Indian dating site. I don't know. Regardless, that's not the headline here. So <laughs> here's the headline. Now, when did I load this? Because I really want to actually read the details of this tweet because it's a, it is a zinger. So this was a couple of days ago. Uh, where were we? It must be down here a little bit. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Okay, let me explain the data structure here. Stephen actually says, Google says, Aina's Indian, Indian religion teaching a path to spiritual purity and enlightenment through disciplined non-violence. Okay, I will agree with that. Uh, to all living creatures. All right. Somehow Stephen cut off the J, but yep, yeah, I get it. All right, so that's that's fine. Finding people with the same set of ideas in life. No problems at all with any of that. Here's where I have the problem. <laughs> I've got, I've got a, a, a screen cap here of the SQL create statement that's in the dump. So very often data breaches are like literally SQL create statements. My SQL, as uh, my SQL, uh, SQL map can generate them when someone dumps a database. My SQL, of course, can gen generate them if you want to just generate like create commands so that you can literally take a text file and then run it on your MySQL somewhere else and just recreate all the data. Create table users. We've got a user ID, bigint20. It does seem a little bit optimistic. Uh, user email, so far so good. Now here's the here's the great. These are three separate columns. One is called user underscore pass varchar twenty. Two problems, <laughs> two immediate problems here. One is that this stored the user password. Two is that it truncated it to twenty characters or limited it to twenty characters in the clear. But then, like row twelve, encrypt underscore password. Vacha 50. Now there, they put MD5s. So it could have been a Vacha 32, just saying. They put MD5 password hashes, unsalted MD5 password hashes. Row 13, 
another column called plain underscore password, also varchar20. So you've got like a plain text password next to an MD5 hash for password next to a plain, it's like a plain text password sandwich, you know, with a, a filling of MD5 hash called encrypt. I don't know why they got breached. It's, it's a mystery. Now, in case you're looking at it going, all right, well, that's 2016. You know, like that's six years ago. Well, first of all, all of that was terrible in 2016. MD5 was terrible in 2016. SHA-1, Salted SHA-1 was terrible in 2016. All that was terrible. Then I've got a blog post from 2012 about how terrible it all was. Just search for Troy Hunt No Clothes. True story. There's <laughs> a blog post about it. It will be fine. Trust me. Now, there's another image in here as well, because if you're thinking it's a 2016 thing, it's not a 2016 thing. There is, there is, there are a number of Mailinator addresses in there. Uh, I went through and I found a Mailinator address. I know the public mailboxes, I obfuscated the alias anyway. The password that is represented in the data structure, twice, is chicken2. Chicken2. Chicken2, MD5 hash of chicken2, Chicken 2, again, because piling ticks in there twice. Do a password reset and you get an email to the mailinator address which says your password is chicken 2. So not only are they storing in plain text, but they're emailing the password to you as well. And they're doing that today. It would be very easy, though, just to go and do bcrypt now because they've got all the passwords in plain text. Wouldn't be a hard problem to solve. Uh, I don't know. Two million people and you're storing passwords like that. All right. TikTok. TikTok non-news story. Let's talk about a non-news story. Why is this a non-news story? So the reason I'm going to talk about this is because uh, people got upset with me <laughs> this week. I know. What are the chances, right? People got upset because, uh, where is it, TikTok? It's somewhere in here. This was all over the Aussie news. You know, every now and then there's just something InfoSec related, which is sort of in the news, out there in the public domain, making all the headlines. And uh, I was perplexed as to why, why is it so hard to find now? I was perplexed as to why this would be in the news. And basically what it boiled down to is that uh, TikTok might be accessing a bunch of data and I got latest here, try on TikTok. Here we go. All right, now we're here. Okay. TikTok might be accessing a lot of data uh, and sending it to China. <laughs> like, it's a social media platform. It accesses a lot of data. Uh, so does the one that we're on right now, so does the Twitter, so does the Facebook. Uh, also, we know it's Chinese. We've always known it's Chinese. So here's the, here's the actual article. TikTok's alarming excessive data collection revealed. Viral video app TikTok collects excessive amounts of data according to new analysis of its source code. Raising alarms from the volume information at security following an admission that staff in China can access the data of millions of Australian users. Oh my God, the Chinese. <laughs> so, so a company here, what do they call themselves? Internet 2.0. It feels like that's a name that's going to date. If you call your company Internet 2.0, I don't think that's 
that's not going to last the test of time. Anywho, into 2.0, analyze source code of TikTok on Android, statically and dynamically. On did both. On iOS, it only performs static analysis due to limitations making it hard to study. Probably because they've got like public key pinning and they're having trouble intercepting the traffic. I don't know. Dynamic analysis tests and evaluates as the app is running, while static analysis tests and examines source code running. The firm's analysis said iOS version had a server connection to mainland China. It's because it's Chinese. I um, I feel that this got traction because China's in the news a lot at the moment because of geopolitics, and I guess it would have if it was Russian as well. Uh, I appreciate some of you are from America, and it's different. But for us, basically everything's foreign. <laughs> so also, we don't have an Australian social media platform. For those of you in Europe, I think you're pretty much in the same boat. I know you have some, but it's not Facebook or Twitter or any of those sort of things. It just surprised me it got traction. But then um, this discussion, and the reason I'm raising it here today, is this very quickly descended into... Uh, people claiming I was like a CCP sympathizer, a, a Chinese Communist Party <laughs> sympathizer, trying to downplay it. So I, I really lament this sort of balkanization where you've got different parts of the world that have different levels of trust and data, and you know we're comfortable with the Americans getting this, but not the Chinese. And so can't we all just get along? Come on, this is just. If you're worried about a social media platform collecting all your data, and they all do it a lot, and we'll talk more about that in my next story about you not being the product, um, then don't, don't use it. Or work on the assumption that they will access all your things. And you know, for this story to talk about it could access your contacts and your geolocation, yeah, but you know what happens is you get this little prompt that pops up and it says, would you like to allow this app to access your photos, for example? And you can either say yes or no. Or on iOS, you've got a variation you know, such as you can access my location whilst I'm using the app or always or just this one time. You have the prompt. You get to choose. By the way, good luck uploading any video to TikTok if you don't have access to your photos or your camera. Like this is the nature of the way the thing works. Of course you need to give it access to that. Be like, I'd like to use Google Maps to navigate to somewhere I'm going but I don't want to give it access to my GPS. It's like, well, that's 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 then just a map. You might as well go and get a paper fold-out one. It just seemed to be news to some people. They didn't quite get it. And then uh, then we had some <laughs> someone made a comment. <laughs> I'm not. Even, uh, you know what? Let's just have a look at some of the things people said here. I won't throw anyone under the bus by name. Oh, it's Mike. He chimed in on this. Good on, Mike. Uh, <laughs> let's have a look. Someone here. You don't find difference between collected by a private company versus collected by a potentially hostile Chinese government. I don't think it's potentially. TikTok is banned in India precisely because they are our arch enemies. I see Australia no different in 10 years. Yes. It's a bit strong, isn't it? If you're from India, is China an arch enemy? That, that feels very... like. We wouldn't call it, we'd call it maybe hostile relationships here, but I think arch enemy is a bit going a little bit too far. Um, yeah, Marcus Hutchins replied on this. He's, he's, he's like, but China, and, and this is the thing, right? People are just losing their minds because China. 
don't know. Get over it. Get over it. Move on. If you don't like TikTok, don't use the thing. I think it's a little bit weird. Uh, but if I do use it, I know that TikTok is going to collect my data because everyone collects my data, which makes me the product, which makes it a nice segue through into the blog post this week. Now, this one was sitting there for a little while, and it's one of these ones where it's like, I'm angry about something and I want to write about it, which I think actually makes um, makes some of the best blog posts. <laughs> I've got some that I'm very emotional about that have been in draft for a very, very long time. Now, here's the title of this blog post. If you're not paying for the product, you are possibly just consuming goodwill for free. Every now and then, someone contacts me and they say... It might be in response to a tweet or out of the blue. They say, uh, if you're using, say, have I been pwned for free, an individual, then that individual is the product because it's free. And I, I have argued in 280-character bites <laughs> in the past that I find that uh, disingenuous and, frankly, a little bit insulting to suggest that have I been pwned exists in order to it, it, it feels like to be there to the detriment of those who, who visit and to somehow turn them into a product uh, and people have made the point in the past because there are some revenue streams that that makes them the product it's like people donate money therefore you're the product or one password has a sponsorship placement product and it pisses me off entirely. I think part of the reason is, and this is there's another blog post in the summer, I don't like these very binary statements. Uh, for, for some reason, I was thinking today, <laughs> while I was out on my walk, and I won't get into it here, but the, the term you hear, and, and it's not that anyone said this to me recently, but you, you hear this term about, like, toxic. This environment's toxic. You know, this person's toxic. Or... Uh, other terms which which get applied as a label and have all these insinuations beneath them and it tends to then be the thing that, that defines it. And, and what I don't like about, you know, you are the product is that in, in the... And let, let's just go back to the background of this, this term for a little bit because I learned something this week as well. So this apparently originally came about uh, due to TV. So you sit there, you watch TV, it's free, or as I pointed out, if you're in the UK, they've got these weird TV license things I don't think I've seen anywhere else in the world. But normally, everywhere else, the TV is free. Uh, and you sit there and you watch the TV, and it's free. So you're like, okay, cool. And then there's this term, which is, well, the reason it's free is because they want your eyeballs on the ads, because the advertisers pay to get their ads in front of you. And really, the advertiser's view of it is that the viewers are the product and they are paying to buy your eyeballs and you're getting something for free but you're giving something back in return not in a monetary sense but in a you know you well maybe in a monetary sense because hopefully you'll then go out and buy the product and then it makes sense to the advertisers and they can fund the tv networks and this this whole sort of cycle is, is like a cycle of, of money of funding of how do we keep these things alive and monetize the viewers now of course if it's facebook or twitter or youtube then yes, you monetize the viewers. Uh, that, that's the way that we get these platforms for free. And then people go, oh, it's not free because you're the product. You don't pay any money. Like choose the word which explains that you don't pay any money. And most people would go, well, the word free is <laughs> not paying any money. But clearly there are those who think that that just makes you the product. 
It's starting to sound a bit rambling. Point is, is that just because you're using a service and you're not paying any money for it doesn't necessarily mean that it's to your detriment. And this is what upset me, not just for the Have I Been Pwned stuff, but all the other bits and pieces I do. Uh, going right back to the beginning when it was blog posts and user groups and things like this, I didn't think I'd ever make any money whatsoever out of any of this sort of stuff. At some point, someone I think within this thread is like, yes, but now you live really well. You must have made people the... Pro well, no, it's like people read blog posts or they come along to user group talks or, or things like that. Or they watch Pluralsight courses and yes, I get paid for Pluralsight courses or there is sponsorship or these sorts of things. But it uh, it just, it, it feels like a like an insult when someone's like, well, anyone enjoying those things without directly paying money is a product which is bad. Does that make sense? Ah, it feels uncomfortable. It feels uncomfortable. All right, what's here in the comments as we sort of start to get to the end of this? Uh, Philip, I bought an exo bike in Jan 2020 from via... Via veto. And they sent me my password and plain text when confirming my account. I complained, but their IT department didn't think it was a problem. Now, there is a website for this called Plain Text Offenders. Uh, typed just as it sounds, Plain Text, Plain Offenders, <laughs> Plain Text Offenders. PlainTextOffenders.com. If you go over there, you can submit websites that do this. <laughs> I can go and submit Shady.com. Uh, now, when you do this, when you go to this website, it gives you a whole bunch of recent examples of uh, people who've submitted websites emailing plain text passwords. Now, really weirdly, the, the one at the top of the screen here is from Shodan. I find that very, well, no, that's very, very weird. Okay. It looks like it's part of the password reset process. It says, hi, somebody asked to reset your password on Shodan. If it wasn't you, you can safely ignore this email. Log in with this information and change your password, URL, username and password. Now, I, I do get the impression that this is sending you what appears to be a time-limited one-time password. I want to come back to that because I want to find an example which is clearly really bad, and then we can talk about... Uh, what Shodan is doing and why I actually don't think it's a problem. Uh, okay, it's also registered. Uh, what else is in here? Okay, here's a good example. sfccmo.edu. <laughs> I don't know what that is. We received a request from subdomain obfuscated.sfccmo.edu to send your current password for the online SFCC campus store. Uh, at there, your password is, and there it is. So bad for several reasons. Number one, as soon as they send you the password, you know they're not hashing it. So it's definitely not hashed. It's almost certainly not encrypted. It's sitting there in plain text. This is what's so bad about it. We would make the argument that uh, email is not a secure transportation um, mechanism. A lot of the time email is now are encrypted connections. So that may not be the best argument, but then it sits there in your mailbox and that's not a great place to have your passwords because it's not encrypted. <laughs> Maybe not again the best argument because once someone actually has access to your PC and your things, they're a long way down the road of doing you lots of damage anyway. I think the best argument here is it just shows that the password is not stored properly. Now, if we go back to the showdown thing, it looks to me 
like the one in Shodan was it generated a new password and sent it to the recipient. Now, I've got two interesting things with that. If it's done that, does the old password still work or is this a denial of service vector for anyone who wants to lock you out of your account? So if you were to... I want to test this. Let's go to Shodan. I've got a Shodan account. Log in. What's my <laughs> what's my username? Uh, finger on the fingerprint reader. I love authenticating like this. Uh, okay, if I go to forgot password, let's put that email address in. Reset password. Success. Check your inbox for recovery information. Go to my email. Let's have a look. See what it does. Uh, if it was actually resetting the password, that's bad because that is a denial of service vector, which means that you can just keep locking people out of their account. If, on the other hand, it sent you a password, which is like single use, you can go on, log on with this password, then you have to change it again uh, for the purposes of account recovery. I'm okay with that simply because when you email someone a link to go through and reset their password, it's the same vector. You have just sent what is effectively a single-use secret in an email. Now, whether it's a link or whether it's there as text, it seems a bit weird to have it there as text, it's the same risk. Now, interestingly, Shodan is not actually... Did I get the Did I get the username right? Now, when you go forgot password, you enter the email address. What if I fat finger something? Now I'm wondering what my actual email address is. Because uh, I do sometimes use more than one. Let's do blah, 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 at mailonator.com, reset password. That also says success. See, now this is possibly to try and, and I just fat fingered something and it says success. This is possibly to try and uh, mitigate against the risk of enumeration. So it's not telling us whether the email address exists or not, or the account exists or not in the UI. Good. But then you got this thing, and this is one of the things we do very early on in the Hack Yourself's first workshop. If you're trying to do password reset and not have gone way off topic here, if you're trying to do password reset and not have an enumeration vector, you need to give the same response to the UI whether the account exists or not. You then have to communicate with the person who owns the email address via the back channel, which is email, because if they have access to the email, then it's fine to tell them that they have an account. Do you send an email to email addresses that do exist? Well, yes, you have to because that's your reset email. Do you send them to ones that don't exist? A bunch of people say no, because that's not a real account. You shouldn't send an email. But you create this situation here where now I've got no idea if their email delivery is delayed. Is it in my junk? I haven't checked my junk. Did it go to my junk? We're like real-time live working out exactly the problem with this. My view, I'm going to go to my password manager now and see what it actually is, showdown. My view is that whether the email address exists or not, you always send them an email. And you got just got two different emails. So the one that goes out, you know, let's say 90% of the time is, thank you for doing a password reset, click here, uh, single-use time-limited link, go through, reset the password. And then there's another one which says you actually don't have an account. And then every time I raise that, I've done this so many times, every time I raise that, someone says, can't do that because that'd be spamming people that's going to send an email to someone who doesn't actually have an account well what do you think happens when you register <laughs> like when you register 
you don't already have an account, you really need to send a link to say, are you actually sure you want to sign up and then click here, verify control of the address or this sort of thing. So there's usually a vector on account management to send an email to someone who doesn't already exist on the system anyway. So this is nothing new. Hmm. Mike. Mike says, data misuse is a game the whole family can play. <laughs> so to single out a country is like blaming another family for playing your game. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is really weird. That is really weird. Um, I mean, the China thing is weird, but you're right, Mike. You're right. Because where does it, like, where does it end? Like, how do we, how do we choose which, like, if there was, let's say there's a popular Turkish social media website. Do we trust Turkey? Because it's, I, I think for most of us in Western parts of the world, it's like, yeah, we, we know that there are some issues there. Uh, were they bad enough to not use the Turkish social media platform or are they pretty much, because it's kind of like, it's kind of Europe. Maybe you could just go on forever with that. I think that starts to get very, very contentious and probably goes down a rabbit hole that, uh, that we really don't want to go down live without giving it more thought. On that note, let's wrap it up there. I'll come back to you next week, later in the day, still at home. Not going anywhere next week, which is great. So thanks for watching. Uh, I'm going to go and start my day. It is now just ticking over 7 a.m. If you're in Europe, stay cool, uh, and hopefully everything settles down a little bit for you before I see you next week. See you, folks.